Yeah, God is, he is still working, he is still moving and changing lives, and that is a testimony to it. Good morning, so good to be here with you. If we haven't met, my name is Blake Sherman, I'm the Young Adult Minister, and some of you might know I'm actually kind of in transition right now, I'm going to serve overseas in England, and we are raising support for that. And I say all to say is, my family's just been blown away, I just want to take the time to say, we've been blown away by your generosity, support, and encouragement. Our jaws have literally dropped a couple of times from y'all's generosity. So all to say, we are humbled and honored to be a part of this church. Um, but if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in John 5, and uh, we're going to be continuing our series in John. And what's funny is, whenever I was preparing this message, I wasn't looking for an illustration uh, for the seniors. I love you guys. I was just going to do the best I could to preach it. But um, God brought to mind a story and it actually involves some of you, which is kind of funny. Uh, but several years ago, I was, uh, or a couple years ago, I was teaching at Chi Alpha. And Chi Alpha, if you don't know, is our youth disciple now. And it's basically like people go into houses and they have a certain topic that they're supposed to study. And I was assigned to the juniors. So when some of y'all were juniors, some of you might remember. And the topic I had to teach on was apologetics. So defending your faith. And uh, so I basically sat down in this house with a couple of y'all and uh, we're kind of sitting in that circle in a living room. And I explain what apologetics is, defending your faith. And I say, now what we're going to do is I'm going to pass out a blank sheet of paper. And what I want you to do is I want you to write down one topic that you want me to cover before this weekend's over. Just one topic, and I'll try to work it into a lesson. And I say, you don't have to put your name on it, so whatever you want to ask. So everyone starts writing stuff down, and then they pass it forward to me. And what struck me is that the topics that they wanted me to talk on were not traditional apologetics topics. Um, usually people ask questions like, how do we know there's a God? Um, how do we know that we can trust scripture? You know, how do we know the scripture is authoritative and that it hasn't been changed? Like those kinds of questions. The questions that they asked and the topics that they wrote were things like abortion, homosexuality, injustice. Basically, they were asking ethical questions. And the reason they were asking those questions is because really that's what culture is asking now. They're not really debating about whether or not Jesus existed. I mean, I'm sure some people do, but that wasn't the big question for culture right now. Right now, the big question in culture is, is he good? Is Jesus ethical? We know that he preaches love, but is that actually love or does culture have the defining definition of love? We know he claims authority, but should culture have authority? And they were seeing this and that's why they were asking these questions. And the thing is, is y'all are gonna go out and that question is going to remain. Um, the question of, does Jesus have absolute authority on this or should we give it to something else? And that question is something that a lot of us are grappling with. You know, and this passage is interesting because it really kind of comes at it from that angle. Jesus, if in your life groups, you're studying the beginning of John 5, and what happened is that John, or Jesus had healed someone by the pool, uh, pool of Bethesda. So he'd healed someone at the pool and it was on the Sabbath and he told the man who couldn't walk, get up, pick up your mat and walk. So he broke the Sabbath by telling the man to pick up his mat. And he also broke the Sabbath by healing him. And so the Pharisees start to persecute him. And so Jesus offers a defense for what he did and claims why he has authority. So notice the Pharisees aren't getting after him and saying, did you actually heal him? That's not what they're debating about. They're asking, did you have the right to heal him? Should you have healed him? Do you have authority to do this? See, it's very different. They're not debating about that he did it. They're debating if he should have done it. And so what Jesus starts to do is he starts to offer up these testimonies that point to him 
kind of like on a trial. He says, hey, these are all the witnesses that say, I am who I say I am. And then we're going to get to look at these testimonies, and then we'll see what questions it asks of us. All right, you know, excited? Let's dig in. I'm excited. John 5, and we're going to be starting in verse 31. Verse 31, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. Just to pause right there. Jesus is not saying that his testimony is not valid. He's acknowledging that in the Jewish court of law, they need more than one testimony. So he's going to start pulling in other testimonies. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. That's God. You have sent to John, John the Baptist, and he testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. Jesus is saying, I don't need human testimony to validate who I am, but I'm saying it to you so maybe you might be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light, meaning you liked John for a bit. He was entertaining, but you didn't want to take him seriously. So once you were done with him, you were done with him. Verse 36, I have a testimony weightier than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I'm doing testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me has testified himself concerning about me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. For you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So Jesus lists off four different testimonies that point that, to the fact that he's actually who he says he is. And I actually made a little list. You can throw them up there. So John the Baptist, the works of Jesus, scripture, and God. These are the four testimonies that he brings up that testify that he is actually who he says he is, that there is life in him and that he has authority. Now, when I made that list, the thing that struck me as I, I was reading it and I was thinking, yeah, like, I wonder if that had like good weight for them back then. Like, I wonder if they really believe those testimonies and if it changed things for them. But that's not the question that's being asked now because scripture is living. So that's not the question that's being asked. The living word now is asking us, is it enough for you? Are these testimonies enough for you? They hold enough weight in your life that it changes your life. Because guess what? Every single testimony still stands. They didn't disappear. <laughs> these are all still true. John the Baptist, we've, the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at the witness of John the Baptist. Dr. Sands, our pastor, has done a really good job pointing out that John pointed beyond himself. Remember, he showed that painting of John with a really long finger, you know, pointing to show that John points beyond himself and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Everything has been pointing up to this moment, and that's the Messiah. John testified to it. Scripture, you know that if you read through Scripture, if you stop at the Old Testament, it's a story that's incomplete. Really, the Old Testament is probably like in the shape of an arrow. It's just pointing in one direction. It's pointing to a need, and that need is a person, and that person is Jesus. Jesus is saying, hey, all the scriptures testify about me. It's all pointing towards me. The works of Jesus. And a lot of us, whenever we hear the works of Jesus, we think, we think, well, yeah, you know, if I had been there, if I'd been at the pool of Bethesda and I saw this person be healed, that would have been pretty convincing to me. Or if I had been at the feeding of the 5,000, that would have convinced me. Or if I had been where Lazarus was, that would have convinced me. We already have the testimonies and the scriptures about those. So you have the witness to you. But let me just say, Jesus is still working today. That's what we were just singing about. That God is still on the move. He's still changing lives. He's still transforming people. 
Jesus still does stuff. There's still works of Jesus in our midst. I was thinking about a really good friend that I have, and I've known him since kindergarten. I was born in Corpus Christi, met him there, moved here in the seventh grade, and then he moved here. And then we both went to Baylor, and I knew him all through Baylor, but for a long time, he didn't know Jesus. And I prayed for him, particularly all through Baylor. I prayed for him all through Baylor, still didn't know Jesus, graduated, spent several years not knowing him. And then one day uh, I hear that he started following Jesus. And whenever I talk with him today, he'll drive through t- town sometimes, and we'll get coffee. And whenever I sit across from him, I've known him my entire life, but it's as if I'm talking to an entirely different person. He's been transformed. It's not like, it's not like he like got involved in a club and he's like just kind of changing his life or he has new habits or you know, he's working out now, he's eating right, he's seeing a therapist. Those things are all good. But I'm talking about something very different. Like I'm talking to him like the old you is gone. It's dead. The new has come and I see it. I'm sitting across from a new creation right now. You are transformed or in the language of the scripture here, you are a work of Jesus. Um, And it blows my mind. And it was kind of a cool moment because his mom was here in the last service and she came up to me and she was saying like, I was like in tears. I was right on the edge of my seat because she knows better than me because she's known him her entire life. And she said, he has been completely changed. He's transformed because Jesus is still doing things. Here's the thing. You can grab some people in this room that know Jesus and ask them, hey, what what is God doing in your life? And they'll tell you what Jesus has been doing. He's still moving. But not only does John the Baptist, the scripture and the works of Jesus testify to him, but God himself testifies. The father testifies. You know, scholars kind of debate, you know, is Jesus referring to um, the baptism here or the transfiguration? Is he talking about the moment that the father spoke and said, this is my son who I love with him, I'm well pleased? Or is he talking about the transfiguration when he said, this is my son, listen to him. And what I would tell you is probably both. Um, probably both because those moments, the baptism and the transfiguration, that was an inbreaking of a hidden reality that is constantly at work. Meaning the father always testifies on behalf of the son saying, this is my son. This is my son. He always does it at every moment. There's never a moment the father does not tes- testify on behalf of the son saying, this is my son. In him is life. Look at this passage. This is First John 5. So not John 5, but First John 5 starting in verse nine, and this really breaks down how God testifies. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his son. Whoever believes in the son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar. You've made God a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. Here it is very clear. This is the testimony God has given on behalf of the son. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son does not have life. It's that simple. This is the testimony the Father speaks at every moment. I have given you eternal life, and life is in the Son. If you know the Son, you have life. If you do not know the Son, you do not have life. That's simple. What that means, though, is that you can call out to God right now and ask him, is Jesus the son? And he will say yes. Does Jesus have authority? He will say yes. Does Jesus have life? And he will say yes. I have a friend that I made um, 
years ago when I was serving in England and she was from a predominantly Muslim country. And she was telling me her story about how she followed Jesus and her story is beautiful and incredible. I don't have the time to tell the whole story, but kind of the focal point, the, the crux of the whole story is that she was talking to a Christian and a Christian basically challenged her. He said, I want you to go into your room and I want you to pray to Allah and I want you to ask him if you know him. He doesn't wait as long as you want. And then I want you to call out to Jesus and ask if you can know him and see what happens. So she did that. She went into her room. She called out to Allah. She said, do I know you? And so she sat and she sat and she pleaded. And then she said, Jesus, can I know you? And she said that she was filled with the Holy Spirit and consumed by his love. And she knew that he was real because the father still testifies on behalf of the son. Here's the thing, I don't know if y'all remember, but Dan Uri, our interim pastor, he used to have the same, he said, I dare you, you know? Real Southern preacher, I dare you to do it, you know? That's why I'd say, I dare you. If you don't know Jesus, go get alone, call out to God and say, is Jesus the way? And see what he says. I'm not promising like fire will come down and you'll be like swirling around. I'm not promising crazy stuff. There might just be an inner conviction deep in your soul that you know that it's true. But here's the thing. If you really want to know the truth and you go to God for the truth, he'll tell you. That's true. He always testifies on behalf of the son. Now, given a testimony like this, that is just, I mean, it's pretty expansive and comprehensive that we can't deny that Jesus has authority. We start to think, well, maybe the question isn't asked of Jesus. Maybe it's asked of us. And that's kind of what happens that the questions start to turn and Jesus starts to ask it of the Pharisees, and I think they're being asked of us. Listen to this. This is verse 39. He says, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. You see, the Pharisees, they did not have to be encouraged to diligently study scripture. They did that a lot better than we do. They spent hours and hours upon the scriptures. They studied it. There was a rabbi at the time and he said, you know, more study of the law is more life. And that's what they believed. If you could just take in more of the law, you would have more life. And so they poured over the scriptures, but there's this disconnect that Jesus is saying, you've poured over the scriptures, but you don't know me. You don't know that it testifies about me. What's happening here? You know, this past week, I got clearance to tell this story, <laughs> by the way, but this past week, in our life group, um, we were all meeting together and kind of having a meal and praying and talking with each other. And the Tates are in our life group, Mark and Taylor Tate. And we were sitting in line waiting for food and I saw a People magazine and I know that Taylor Tate reads it. So I decided to kind of mess with her about it. And I was like, oh, Taylor, did you read the People magazine? You know, and kind of made fun of it. And she kind of went with it and kind of teased herself. And she says, oh yeah, I can give you the scoop. You know, I can start talking to the girls about what's going on in the celebrity world and giving the big scoop, right? And she's talking about some celebrity, I'm probably gonna get the details wrong, but some celebrity that like just had a baby and it was an all natural birth. And she said this and just like talking about all this stuff. And I'm like putting meatballs on my plate. And I'm thinking, this is so weird. Like, it's just so weird that we know so much about some random celebrity in these intimate details. It's just weird. But the thing is, if I had asked Taylor, do you know that celebrity? She would have without a doubt say no. I don't know a celebrity. Because there's a difference between knowing about a person and knowing a person. 
And here's the thing is that they knew a lot about God, but they didn't know God when he was standing in front of them. And a lot of us, we know a lot about God, but we might not know him. We've studied the scriptures, we've poured over it, but you don't know him. Here's the thing, you can know him. You can know him. You know, there's this, I'm probably taking from someone's sermon down the road because it's in John 14 and we're gonna be there soon. But in John 14, six, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to me except through, uh, no one comes to the Father except through me. Notice he doesn't say, let me tell you about a way. Let me tell you about a truth. Let me tell you about a life. He's saying, I I'm the way, the truth, and life. If you want to know it, I'm not going to teach you an outside philosophy or some kind of thinking. If you want to know those things, you need to know a person, and I am the person. You can't know about it. You need to know me. But so many of us, what we do is we spend our lives and we act as if that life with God is far removed from us. And we read the scriptures and we treat it like a people magazine and we go through it and we go, man, can you imagine? Can you imagine what it'd be like to live like this? Man, can you imagine knowing God in this way? Can you imagine these kinds of relationships? All the while, it has been made available to you through Jesus Christ. This does not testify to a life that is far removed from you. It is testifies to a life that you can enter into because of Jesus Christ. You understand that? Like, I'm not saying that we shouldn't study scripture. I would say you should study scripture. But the reason you study it is not because there's life in it, but because it testifies to the life the life of Jesus that you can know, you can know God. I promise you, you can. But so many of us, we've just, we've accumulated all these religious things that we want to like just study the scriptures and we go to all these religious functions, all these things. And we feel like I've known a lot about God. I listen to all these podcasts. I listen, I read all these books, all these things. I've accumulated all this knowledge, but the danger is you might not know him. Do you know him? There's a very big difference between knowing about and knowing a person. Do you know Jesus? And if you know Jesus, then the scriptures just come alive whenever you talk to him because he's informing everything. The last thing that he points out that I want to focus on. This is the next little stumbling block that I see that's happening with the Pharisees. It says, I have come in my father's name and you do not accept me, but if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but you do not seek the glory that comes only from God? Jesus is saying, I've come in my father's name, you won't accept me, but you'll accept other people based on some weird pseudo credentials that you give them. And, he, and then he goes on to say, how will you ever see the glory that comes from God if you're busy seeking it from one another? And I think that's a really good word for Waco, Texas. Um, because I know the world might be doing their own thing. Everything looks pretty different. But Waco, for the most part, it's still, it's still pretty standard to try and honor God, to seek God. We are still a, a religious, I would say, a predominantly religious and Christian area. Um, so what we can get into the habit of doing is rather than looking at God, we start looking at each other and saying, am I doing better than them? Am I on the same par as them? And rather than looking at God for glory and saying, I want to know your glory, we're just trying, I'm trying to make sure that I'm on par with the people on my left and my right. Am I, am I in good standing? And that's not the question. The question is, do you know God? Have you received the testimony and you believe that it's true? But what we do is we just, ah, how am I doing compared to everyone else? Uh, when I was in high school, I hated uh, one part in tracks particularly. I mean, I didn't like the running, but 
But one part, particularly in track, that I didn't like is right before the race, they would have you all line up in these little bleachers, these little rows, kind of like pews. And you would line up. And what you would do is everyone would just be talking about how fast they are. And you didn't know if anyone was telling the truth, but you also had to like kind of get into their heads. You're like, well, I'm pretty fast. I ran this and this and this. And then someone's like, did you hear so-and-so? They ran this fast. And everyone's going back and forth. And we're just comparing with each other. We haven't even started to run the race. And my fear, and sometimes my great frustration, is that so many churches, what we do is we line up in these pews and we look to our left and right and say, I wonder how they are. I wonder how they're doing. I wonder what they're doing. I wonder where they're going. And we haven't even started to run the race. We haven't even started to live the life with God that he calls us to, but we spend our whole time comparing. How will we ever see the glory of God if we're comparing with one another, if we're seeking the glory on our left and our right? Someone's heard me say, I'm sure people have heard me say this before, but your standard and your metric of devotion is not the person on your left and your right, it is Christ. You look at him and you let him be the standard. I remember when I was in San Antonio on a vacation with my wife and I was reading a book by Tozier and it was one of those moments where I just like froze and like my drilling started going. I was like, let's do it. And I read this line where he said, never surrender to the chill of your spiritual environment. Never surrender to the chill of your spiritual environment. And so many times I find myself doing that. I go, when I look on my left and my right, I'm doing pretty good compared to everyone else. How will I ever see the glory of God if I'm seeking it from everybody else? I need to look at him and set my standard on him. I wanna know him completely. So here's the thing. If you do that, chances are you've settled for a life of knowing about God because there's a lot of people in Waco that they have settled for a life of knowing about God but not knowing God. But when you look on your left and your right, you go, I've done pretty good compared to everyone else. I know a lot more than them, but that's not the standard. It's do you know him? Do you know Jesus? And so the invitation today is, if you've spent a lifetime knowing about God, but not knowing him, guess what? You've just read all the testimonies. You can call out to God. You can talk to someone here that knows Jesus and they'll tell you about the work that he's doing. It's all been made available to you. Do you want to know him? Because you can. The father still testifies. I have given eternal life. And life is in the Son. If you know the Son, you have life. If you do not know the Son, you do not have life. And you can have life today. It's not far removed from you. You can enter into it today. And my guess is if, if you haven't, and you've been reading the Bible like a people magazine, like it talks about a life far removed from you, distant from you that you can't enter into, you're probably exhausted. I know I'd be to read the promises of God and to think that I can't enter into them, but you can. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what he did on the cross, that the way has been made available to you. The question is, do you want to respond now in faith? So I'm gonna pray. And if you wanna know Jesus, um, I'm just gonna do a little prayer at the beginning before I close our main prayer. And you just, you just pray these words with me. They're not magical words. Um, it's not, nothing like that. These are just words of surrender and I'm just trying to help you find the words. So if you wanna know Jesus, would you pray this? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you're speaking to me right now. And God, I just, I surrender to you. I've spent a lifetime knowing about you, hearing things about you, 
but now I really want to know you. And I believe in your son. I believe that I can know you because of Jesus. And I can have life. God, I thank you that life is not far removed from me. But because of Jesus, I can enter into life with you right now. And I do that. Forgive me for whenever I've chased other things. Now I just want to chase you. Yeah, God, we thank you for this day and we thank you for your word. And um, God, I pray that right now, those that prayed that prayer, and I call upon the name of Jesus right now, I just ask that those that prayed that prayer, that they would just feel, they would sense the filling of your Holy Spirit in their life. They would know your love. They would be overcome by you. God, we, we believe more in your power than in our rhetoric. We believe more in your saving power than the words that we speak, God. And we believe that if they call upon you, you will fill them. Do that right now, God. By your Holy Spirit, do that, God. Just. And Lord, forgive us whenever we get caught up on just trying to accumulate information about you, which is good. It is good to know about you, God, but we also need to live a life of knowing you. us now to respond in spirit and truth, worshiping you in a way that is fitting because you've changed everything. And we've been transformed because of you. In your name, amen.